Welcome to IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. IFA Talk is for professional investors only. Thank you. Hi, everyone, and it's Sue speaking. Welcome to the latest IFA Talk podcast. For all the advisors who are listening in to us today, I, I put some fairly big odds on the fact that your use of technology has increased hugely in the last few years. I know ours has here at IFA Magazine. So that's why I'm pleased to welcome my guest today, who is Chris Kennan. And Chris is CEO at FinTech Stubborn Edge. And I know that he's quite excited and thinks that there's still a lot further to go in our use of technology. So I'm looking forward to hearing what he's got to say. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself to get us going? Well, thanks very much for having me on, Sue. Um, yeah, so I'm, I started off doing work and pensions policy. Um, for uh, the Conservative Party before they're moving into doing um, my chartered accountancy exam. So everyone that was telling me what to do was either a management consultant or an accountant. I preferred Excel to, uh, to PowerPoint. And then uh, from there, I moved into doing corporate finance before lead, uh, leaving to join a, an insurance and investment management um, business um, where I started the UK distribution um, before um, leaving in 2018 and doing an MBO for the UK business to set up Stubborn Edge. Uh, which we named after a small Derbyshire village. So all the brokers and IFAs we worked with realised we weren't going to compete with them and go direct to consumer. Ah, very good, very good. Gosh, you've had an eclectic career in the last 15 years or so, haven't you? Goodness me. Well, yeah, sadly, that's why I haven't had any... Uh, my hair hasn't grown back and that's the only, uh, only hair I can grow now is now sort of ginger or grey. <laughs> well, it, it goes with experience, you see. That's it. <laughs> Anyway, let's get to down to business then, shall we? Stubborn Edge, as interesting as you mentioned about the name, I did wonder. Uh, can you tell us, first of all, then, a bit about Stubborn Edge? And particularly, I'd be interested to hear what problems it is that you're looking to help solve. So it's really interesting. As you know, obviously, the um, financial services industry has gone through a huge amount of investment into technology. And we set out in 2018. Uh, Basically, uh, to start building, we started off building bespoke uh, IT systems for platforms for brokers, um, financial advisors, um, insurers, and then also other people such as retailers, where they were looking to embed financial services into their journey. It was really interesting because each sort of customer that came to us had a different use case for how they wanted to use it, but they all had different, uh, they had the same sort of core problems, which was, you know, how do I find more customers? How can I improve my customer service and make my onboarding process quicker and easier? How can I reduce down the amount of administration? And really also, how can I kind of leverage the data so I can build a much more personalized experience for my customers? And I think the difficulty as well, and particularly in the um, financial services industry, is really kind of understanding who those customers are that are the most profitable ones, because often those with the largest sort of assets are, are uh, when you count all of the different deductions and time you have spent on them sometimes not the most profitable clients and it's, it's quite hard to do unless you have a number of the different operational mechanisms put together to, to allow you to do it so really kind of having built that side of the business the bespoke part we then actually been building a, a series of apis and, and data capabilities that have allowed our um, ifa and broker clients to really kind of build their own platforms and to build their own businesses around their client base so that they're not being hindered by where technology can take them they're being accelerated by them i think 
you know, the first generation of, of investment platforms and uh, financial services technology companies have done a really good job in terms of standardizing the um, inputs, but also making the product providers provide APIs. And that means that there's, there's often two use cases that I think are quite interesting. One is sort of sitting as a technology layer across a variety of different systems to be able to build customized experiences for your client base. Or secondly, to be able to link together uh, different technologies, which might allow you to, to really kind of leverage um, some insights that you have um, to be able to give that to, to you in real time. I think those are the kind of really interesting areas, the, the sort of layer on the top where actually the tech component is, is often very important, but it's also the business knowledge of how you can combine those and understanding what the art of the possible is. And so we've increasingly moved into a more consultative sales process where it's not just a pure building, it's also the data and the analytics and also providing some of the regulatory licensing so that people can add new products in. I think this is part of where I see the industry moving to is the retail distribution review clearly sort of um, broke apart different parts of the financial services intermediary chain. So, you know, you now have uh, as a customer or a company, you might have to go to a, a life insurance broker. You have to get your pension somewhere else. You have to get your um, professional indemnity insurance from somewhere else. And then you also have to get your um motor policy from from another broker and so in the ultimate sort of worst case scenario you can end up with six different people taking the same 80 to 90 percent of your information and all you really want to do is get your get your problem solved and at the smaller end of the spectrum that's really quite a challenge but yeah what i think is fascinating is the covid and cost of living crisis has meant more and more customers uh, more and more companies have been incorporated and yet in, unless we harness the technology we're not going to be able to really kind of um, service those individuals cost effectively or even find them because you know companies house is a brilliant resource but sole traders don't have to register in that same mechanism so it means that it's it's hard to get the services cost effectively to them so i think that's where technology can really kind of leverage the core proposition and provide provide a, a widening market for what is i think is still is a very good service mm. Oh, you mentioned IFAs uh, many times there, obviously, which uh, will be the audience who are listening in to us today. And they're clearly central to your business too. And I wonder, from working closely with them then, what are some of the, the main challenges that you think that they are facing today? I think particularly um, there's, there's sort of macro um, challenges, which I, I think technology is quite well suited to do. One is this sort of intergenerational transfer of wealth from uh, old to young and how younger people end up using different financial services products um, and also in different ways. I think that's quite a challenge for how do you engage with them. And I also find it quite interesting that in the old days, you used to see people like Michael Parkinson sell the Sun Life over 50s. <laughs> you see the younger generation. Yeah using Instagram and TikTok, et cetera. But, but I think really no one's kind of cracked that how to use financial services with celebrity or influencers in this modern age. I find that really interesting. I think the um, second side that as a challenge is, you know, cash. Um, we've got a vested interest in that because we acquired Acone, the cash management platform, um, about 18 months ago, which um, we have a, a large number of IFAs using. But I think actually what cash can provide you in terms of insight in someone's financial services uh, requirements and needs is, is really interesting. 
particularly because I think we as a country are only just exploring where open banking and AI can take us and how that can change the uh, advice process. So I think really the, the intergenerational side, I think also the kind of cash and the data side that that provides, but but also really kind of how protection fits in with um, the investment proposition. So I kind of think that uh, we always see it as a triangle, which is you can mitigate something happening, you can save against it, or you can kind of insure against it. And I think we're probably quite good on the saving, but we don't link the other two parts as well as, a, as an industry. But I think there is a huge opportunity. And that I think is down to really kind of the difficulty that product providers have in terms of making their services accessible to the IFA community. And I think, you know, one of our things that we are, are trying to do is to be able to open that access to those financial services products so that um, IFAs can build their own proposition using our APIs. So it's fully white labeled and it's, it's got their customer at the heart. But actually, for me, I see the biggest competitor that our clients and our product providers have is really apathy. You know, how do you get someone to come and pick up the phone and, and actually decide to to seek advice or to seek assistance? And I think there's a an increasing um, difference at the upper end of the market where the demographic is changing in terms of the uh, acquirers of financial advice, you know, passing away, passing wealth stereotypically down to a, a generation of female investors who may not have been um, that aware of the financial advice process that's happened in a, a different generation. And I think that's a, a really interesting part of how do you deal with that challenge whilst also passing the wealth down the chain to the far younger generation who are looking at crypto uh, with lust and who are engaging with products in an entirely different way and don't, don't particularly like advice There's in the same way. they you know, But I don't think robo-advice is the answer. I still think people buy from people and you don't know what you don't know. So you need to actually talk and I wonder whether training before advice is, is going to be a much more prevalent trend um, and might be the means by which you can use social media to get people into that sort of advice funnel. Some interesting points there. And I, I particularly resonated with what you said about protection. It's, uh, it's always something that I feel particularly passionate about. And I, I see it as often being a bit of a, seen as a bit of a poor relation in the financial planning process by a lot of advisors when compared to the more glamorous worlds of pensions or investments world. Having, but at the root of it, it's the bedrock of a good financial planning process. So anything that allows someone to coordinate that process a little bit more effectively, I think has to be a damn good thing. Yeah, and I think part of the problem is, you know, with a low interest um, environment, you've seen a lot of life carriers pull out of the market and product innovation hasn't been attractive you know so when your kind of proposition wasn't making money you you didn't expand to cover the niches you sort of retrenched and went to volume sales and i think that's where we've we've lost some of the innovation in the industry which hopefully a high interest environment will will bring back because there's more money within the life market to actually uh, innovate and grow and yeah. i think people are also with covid have got a slightly um different view on on whether protection is actually necessary. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. You are listening to IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. Subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to be notified as soon as a new episode becomes available and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram at IFA Magazine.
Um, we're talking about lots of different issues that people are facing. One of those is always the cost of acquisition, isn't it? And I wonder if we could ask you to touch on that then. And how are you helping perhaps to mitigate the cost of acquisition for, for advances? So one of the things that we've been sort of passionate about from when we started was, was really kind of working with um, intermediaries, so IFAs and brokers, uh, as well as what we call affinity groups, so either retailers or trade associations, to embed financial services into that. So what we have been finding is that, particularly on the advisory side, there's often a, an opportunity to be able to build something that's a much more simple product range that can be accessed digitally, either as a kind of workplace benefit scheme or bolted onto a um, trade association that hasn't offered uh, packaged employee benefits to their um, members who are often um, sole traders or are uh, in a specific designated niche. And I think that's a, a really interesting proposition for the IFAs to the IFA community to, to sort of embrace because they often have are dealing with the financial affairs of people who own businesses or have um, links with organizations where they can widen out the distribution. But the difficulty becomes really the kind of regulatory licensing, the technology, and then also getting the product providers that are assisting to do that. And that's where we've spent a long time investing in not just the technology, but also the relationships to be able to do that. And but that's where effectively the cost of customer acquisition can sometimes become a positive. So I think that's really what's quite exciting. You don't end up with the one-off lead generation cost that can really kind of build stronger and longer lasting relationships. So effectively, it's more like creating the joint venture partnerships. It takes longer, but actually, I think it pays off much more in the long term. Um, but also, we've been using and building um, our own network of websites to effectively create uh, means for our IFA clients to be able to talk to customers in a neutral brand. So we own smallbusiness.co.uk, growthbusiness.co.uk, and Information Age. Um, so that effectively our IFAs and brokers can run campaigns to be able to talk to that audience and, and be able to actually generate leads at a much lower cost. And from our point of view, what that's doing is allowing our audience to be kind of really talked to by the experts in a particular sector, uh, demographic or size, which I think is very, very powerful for them as small business owners or growth business owners. And I think it's, uh, it's an area where hopefully we can get people onto the first rung of financial advice or financial training so that as they grow, they can access more bespoke and, um, and sort of tailored propositions um, around their needs. Well, getting that engagement in the first place, isn't it? It's, it's very hard. And I think um, we did some work on it and, um, when we first started with small business. And uh, I must admit, I probably got it entirely wrong thinking, what would people want to know? And I thought they want to know the difference between an EIS and a VCT. They came back with what's the difference between a current account and a deposit account and you yeah. you realize that you know the average i think the average reading age in the uk is something like 12 and so if we're going to engage at a, a sort of lower um, lower level of wealth then effectively you have to build the products that can resonate with an audience that might not have the same level of financial literacy and i think that's um that's a challenge that i think ifas are very good at which is explaining complex problems in a simple language Yes, it is. And I think that's come on in leaps and bounds, certainly since the RDR. And hopefully with consumer duty, that will step things forward a little bit more also that to, to be much more consumer centric, than just the language that's used, the way things are explained. Let's hope so. Anyway. 
oh, Chris, we're coming rapidly towards the end of this conversation. Uh, one thing I'd like to talk to you about is, my words. Is, uh, is the next generation of IFAs. You know, we've, we've seen an ageing population, haven't we? Uh, the average age of the IFA, let's, let's say, you know, certainly the well, the wrong side of 40, probably the wrong side of 50. And there is a sense that it's harder to attract and to retain advisors nowadays, which is certainly not good if we're ever going to have a chance of closing the advice gap, is it? Uh, I wondered why you think that that is, and also, more importantly, how can, how can we work to rectify it? I think the, I think this is partly to do with the retrenchment of um, the IFA service. I remember when I first started in financial services, reading something, I think it was Deutsche Bank removed the minimum client portfolio from 100 grand to 250, and it's gone to 500 to a million to 3 million. You know, the level at which people are getting financial advice is, is getting higher and higher, and the costs, because of the, the rising amount of costs, make it harder to actually... Um, deal with them uh, deal with smaller smaller clients but i think you know the quid pro quo to that is less people experience the benefit um awareness of what financial advice can really do so i think from my point of view extending financial advice into um, people with lower levels of wealth and at earlier stages in their careers is the first means to be able to actually gain awareness of the um, industry i think if people do get that awareness i think the industry is absolutely amazing it's uh, you get to talk to um, business owners and entrepreneurs who are creating wealth and doing things in a way in which um, I think very few other professions do. And ultimately, it's um, it's quite well incentivized to do that. But I think people don't understand exactly what the world or role of an IFA is um, because they're not meeting out in their daily life. I think any business owner who's built their business who hasn't been to an IFA regrets it when they come to exit. And I think actually that sort of positive story, um, which... Uh, it always slightly surprises me because you look at Dragon's Den and how many more people are interested in private unlisted investments, but yet the, the sort of IFA side is very much still on the kind of listed equities, etc. I think the, the regulatory push to you can only invest into listed equities, etc., uh, means that it, it becomes harder for people to experience that and it becomes harder for the IFAs to make that link other than through EIS and VCT investments. I just think that whole part of providing more um, access to financial advice or financial training at a lower level, getting people at an earlier stage, and then providing some of the assistance and insights to um, privately owned businesses. Because I think the disciplines that a lot of wealth managers have built up um, in analyzing listed company equities are just as applicable to private companies. I think building that and creating that kind of ecosystem of, of knowledge is really, really helpful to then actually solving the recruitment crisis. I think on a, uh, I think just trying to recruit people is um, is difficult when you're not actually telling the core client base what you can do. And I think it's a, a sad part that the IFA advice is um, seen more as a luxury in some ways cases than actually a necessity. Yes, definitely. And as you say, from so many po people's point of view, if you can't see it, you can't be it. And people don't know what the role of advice is. They don't know advisors. And so if we can do anything to really make people more aware of what financial advice is and the huge benefits that it can confer to clients. I know myself as an advisor for many, many years, the number of clients who were amazed at when they found out actually what financial advice actually was and how it 
wasn't what they thought it was. So uh, I couldn't agree more. And I think really the um, the role that the IFA community plays within financial services in um, in Britain is not fully understood. Uh, but also, I think one of the things that keeps our, my job so interesting is that none of our clients are ever really the same. If you talk to them and understand the business, the variety and depth within the, what is banded as just one type of business is it's crazy. It's um, and it's exciting. You know, I think actually a lot of our RFAs that we're working with are kind of the real fintech entrepreneurs. You know, we work with them to to make it happen, but they're the ones that are designing the products and solutions for their customers, and they're the ones that are creating the businesses that people like Nutmeg, etc., have spent hundreds of millions creating, but Actually, RFAs are doing it at a fraction of the cost, but with a much more laser focused on what the client needs. And that's really what matters, isn't it? Is to, to have a proposition that really is client centric and delivers for the client and meets their expectations and hopefully exceeds them too. Agreed. <laughs> well, on that front, Chris, I think we should agree. And, and I can just thank you for coming along and talking to me today. It's been really interesting and to, to hear different viewpoints and particularly the cross-section of the businesses that, that you worked with. Uh, I can say a big thank you to you for that. Oh, thank you very much for having us. Oh, and also thank you to you, our listeners, for listening into IFA Talk again today. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed it and we hope you tune in again next week. Thank you again. IFA Talk is for investment professionals only. All material has been carefully checked for accuracy, but no responsibility can be accepted for inaccuracies. Whatever appropriate, independent research, and whatever necessary, legal advice, should be sought before acting on any information contained in this podcast. And value of investments and income from them can go down as well as up. You may not get back the amount you originally invested.